Hello, church. How are you this morning? Mexican Day next week. Mexican Family Day. That sounds great. Are there going to be chilies, hot peppers, arriba? Ah, good to have you. Thank you, guys. I don't need any mood music. Before I start this morning, I just want us to pray for Israel. You know, there's a lot going on right now over there in that land. I want to read to you a psalm, Psalm 122. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. O feet that have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city compact together. It's always been about and built to be together. Where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord to the testament of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord for thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Then it says this, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be in your walls, prosperity within your palaces. For I will say, for the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you. Because the house of the Lord, I will seek your good. Let's stand for just a moment and let's pray. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us to pray for a side. It tells us to pray for peace. So we're not praying for a particular side. We're praying for the peace of Jerusalem. We're praying that God would work his way and bring peace to that city. Father, we ask right now, Father, for the people of Israel, O oh God, Father of every nation, O oh God, Father, that there would be peace in that place, O oh God. Father, your word tells us to pray for the peace and the prosperity of that nation, O oh God, for every person in it, O oh Lord. So, Father, we pray that with this conflict, O oh God, Father, there would soon be peace, O oh God. Father, Lord, we pray for those that are injured and wounded, O oh God. Father, we pray for all the different stories that are out of this, O oh Lord, which are real people, O oh God, living in real houses and real homes, O oh God. Father, Lord, with real families, O oh Lord. Father, we pray, oh God, in the name of Jesus, undertake in this circumstance, undertake for Israel, oh God, undertake, oh God, for Jerusalem, oh God, undertake, oh God, and let it be, oh Lord, that you would work a solution, oh God. Let peace come to Israel, oh Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You can take your seats. Let's continue to pray for that. I mean, it's a place that's had many years and many, you know, sorts of things go on. But this particular thing that's going on right now looks pretty serious. And we need to pray for its peace. You know, Nina and I have been there a number of times. We love the, the Jerusalem. We love the whole of Israel and all the things that are there. And it's a very complicated place. It's not just easy answers. It's not just something that it is. It's a condition. It's not so much a problem. So how do you deal with what's actually happening there? And uh, we need to pray for its peace. Also, I want to excite you with the news that Danielle Ramulta, who's one of our singers and Jason's girlfriend, right? And uh, so she's in uh, KL right now, in Kuala Lumpur. And she's been asked, she's there for one month, and she's been asked there to be like the one of the faces of the new Youth Alpha, which is going to go all around the world. I mean, Alpha has been one of the most outstanding, soul-winning programs that has ever been actually initiated. 
And uh, so they're doing something just for the youth in presenting the gospel in a real relevant and practical way that, that actually says that. And Daniel's been chosen to be one of the faces of that. It's so big, they're doing it over a month. So if you haven't seen her, there's no problems here in paradise, right? It's, uh, it's just that she's over there in KL. So look after her and pray for her. That'll be good. And also, we just went on our staff retreat. And I want to say, I am blessed to have the staff that, that are in part of this church. And I, I know that they're all over the different locations right now. But let's give them a hand. We have got great staff. We have got great staff. You know, and there was just great unity. Each one's gifts came out. We're able to look at next year, plan a number of different things, have times of prayer, of worship, of inspiration, and also just of times of just seeking the face of the Lord, just to, to say, God, we lift up your church. We, we bring you this church. Help us be leading it properly and in the way that you would like us to do. So... I just want to thank you. Keep praying for whoever staff member it is that you're kind of closest to because we have great staff. So this morning, I'm going to begin a series. Now, I haven't really done a lot of series because um, it's because of different locations. It was hard to always catch up. But then recently, having done a series, there was a bit of good reaction to it. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do a series. I'm going to do a five-part series. I'm going to do it on a book of 1 Peter. So I just thought, like, then you have to come back. So you miss, if you miss one, you have, to, you have to come back. So that's good. So if you're visiting today, I expect to see you the next five weeks, even if you've come all the way from Bundaberg. Oh, sorry, Peter, over there. All right. <coughs> Excuse me. Let's pray. Father, your word is full of truth. Your word is our guide. Your word is, is what we base our lives upon, oh God. Father, we can have a firm foundation, oh God, when we make your word what we walk upon, oh Lord. So I pray that as I speak this word, that you would take it and use it, oh God, and that, Father, we would see great fruitfulness come from this, your word, in Jesus' name, amen. So I've chosen one, Peter, because I believe it's one of the more, I shouldn't say more, one of the most interesting books of the Bible. There's some real deep Bible doctrines, and we're not going to try and make this a Bible college class. So if you're thinking I'm going to be speaking over your heads, I, I hope that's not true. But there are some deep Bible doctrines kind of interspersed in the, in the book of uh, 1 Peter. But to be honest, it's full of practical life wisdom for doing life, loving life, and doing church that you'll actually find in the whole Bible. I think that's why it actually appeals to me so much because it's about real life and it gives us a foundation and it gives us a framework. So good on you, Beck, for talking about that. Foundation is starting, framework. So it's kind of like it gives us a foundation and a framework so that we can build our Christian life. And that we can, we can live daily spiritual life. Because our lives are meant to be a real life, not a super spiritual life. See, our faith, our Christianity, has to be more than just cerebral. It has to be just more than something that's in our heads. Our faith can't be occasional, like a, a winter coat that we might pull out because it's cold. Our faith needs to be something that, that we use all the time, not just in times of need. It cannot be just programming church 
into your week like you might program some recurring meeting that you have into your iPhone. Our faith, our Christianity has to be alive. It has to affect our everyday existence. It's got to affect your decisions. It must be determinant in your joy or in your sadness. It must come into your daily thoughts. I'm a new creation by the power of God, and so therefore every facet of my life needs to actually display that. You know, that's actually pretty challenging in our modern Western mindset, reminding me you that this book was written, right, not to a modern Western mindset, and we're going to talk about a little bit later who it's written to, but it's not written in a sense to 2023, even though it's as pertinent for 2023 to someone living in Brisbane as it was to those to whom it was actually written to. So if you think about it now, getting comfortable and having stuff is really the kind of goal of the world. When you have this, you'll be happy. When you have that, you'll be happy. But what happens is that you realize that no matter how, whatever it is that you get, you're not actually happy, then it's this. You know, when I have that, and in building a house was, you know, when we were uh, you know, building our house, we didn't have uh, money all the time. So we would have to save up money, right? Not get it on credit. We would have to save up money and then we'd buy something. So I remember when we get the paths done around the house, we saved up the money, we got the paths done. Oh, the house still wasn't finished. When we get the garage, I was going to have paths in the garage. The house still going to, no, it still wasn't finished. Then we're going to get a sprinkler system. And so every time, there's it, it this, you know, to be honest, like building a house, the only time it's finally ready is on the day of your first open inspection, right? Like it, it's, it's just there's always something. You're never really quite there. <clears throat> so if that's your goal, then like you're never going to be happy. You're never actually going to reach it. We live in a society where the individual is king. And you can do what is right in your own eyes and I better not judge you even though it's craziness. I, I, I have to judge you by how you feel rather than what is actually wise and just makes sense. If that's your worldview, then the book of 1 Peter really isn't gonna be for you. See, Jesus isn't interested so much in your comfortability as he is in seeing you reach your God-given potential by living your god purposed life, so that you live the life that is truly life, which is what the Bible says. The true life isn't getting everything that you want or think that you need. True life is living out the purpose that God has for you. So there's enough rambling. Let's actually get to the book. All right, 1 Peter 1 verse 1. This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. It's Peter the Apostle who writes this book, so I want to have a quick look at Peter. He's one of the first apostles chosen, and if you think about it, probably the most written about apostle that we have. One of Peter's first interactions with Jesus actually shows us a lot about who Peter was. And, and to be honest, I think our first experience of Jesus also frame much of our thinking. I remember that first Sunday afternoon, walking into a church like this, not knowing a church like this even existed, when I gave my life to Christ in that sense of awe, 
that sense of goodness, the, the, the sense of not really understanding what was happening, but knowing without a shadow of a doubt that, that God was there, that, that God was real. And at that time, knowing that God knew who I was. That's, that's what hit me. And to be honest, it still frames a lot of what I think is valuable in the way that we do church. You know, I, I, I want you to experience God the same way that I did back then, that you sense a sense of awe, that you sense a, a sense of goodness, that you may not have the answer to everything, but you know that God knows you and knows what you're going through at a particular time and that you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is good. You know, just that thought. If you actually know that God is good, that is an amazing way to actually then see the rest of your life. So I want to have a look at how Peter was called. One day, we're looking from Luke 5. One day, Jesus, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the waters there two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, one belonging to Simon, who's Peter. That's big change, his name, Peter. And asked him to put out a little from shore. When he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out you in the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats ashore, left everything and followed him. So Peter is just a simple fisherman. In Aussie terms, he's a tradie and he's just doing a day's work and then Jesus comes and interrupts his worldview. He's fixing his nets after a fruitless night of fishing. And Jesus is there teaching people from the banks of the river. So it wasn't Peter looking for Jesus. It wasn't Peter kind of like, got to find this Jesus that everyone is talking about. He, he's just there. And Jesus uses his boats because the crowd's getting too big. So he uses his boat so he can continue to preach. He gets Peter's attention not by his speaking, or his convincing. It wasn't Jesus' teaching that drew Peter to Jesus. It wasn't just doctrine. It wasn't just cerebral. It wasn't just something that made sense to him. It wasn't that he was just a wow, this guy is speaking such amazing things. I, I better follow him. That wasn't what attracted Peter to Jesus. Jesus gets Peter's attention by doing a miracle in the area that he's an expert in. He's an expert in fishing. He's a fisherman. He's known fishing all his life. He knows everything there is to know about fishing. And Jesus does a miracle right in front of his eyes. 
and sees a great catch of fish. And basically says to Peter, it's not your natural skills and talents that are going to cut it in this kingdom. I can do it better anyway. I love the fact that Jesus is always pushing our buttons and our boundaries. He's always displaying that his ways are higher than our ways. Peter's response is get away from me, not because I hate you because you're a better fisherman than me. Right? He says, get away, I am a sinful man. His reaction to seeing the miracle of God is like, oh, this is too big for me. This is too holy for me. I, I can't do this. And, and I think just on a side note, though you must really understand this, no one really comes to Jesus unless there's that realisation that you are a sinner and that you need God. You come to Jesus out of any other way, or should I say just that word repentance, right? That there needs to be a repentance, an acknowledgement that you've been walking the wrong way and that you now need to start to walk God's way a different way. If you come to God out of any other reason, eventually it won't work. If you come to God because you just like this church, if you come to God because you thought God would add this to you and he was kind of like some lucky charm and now your life is just gonna be blessed from now on, right? Better keep reading this book because it describes that, right? That's not enough. Eventually, it'll go. Some stage, you gotta realize Jesus died for my sin so that I could be right with God. That's the foundation of salvation. So back to Peter. From here on, he goes on a remarkable journey. Peter sees many miracles, he himself walks on water. He has Christ revealed to him as the Messiah directly from heaven. He walks on the mountaintop with Jesus, Moses, and Elijah. He performs many miracles. He's loud and proud and receives both commendation from Jesus and rebuke from Jesus. He then goes through a crisis of faith, even though he saw all of those things. And we think, oh, I would never kind of have a crisis of faith if, if I saw all of those things. But he has a crisis of faith that Jesus says is so real that if I didn't pray for you, you would have lost your faith. So after going through all of that, right, after going through seeing all of those things, he still has a crisis of faith. Don't be condemnatory on yourself if you have a crisis of faith. God is bigger than your crisis of faith. God doesn't run away when you have a crisis of faith. It's something that we're all gonna go through at some stage. Pastor David puts it so well, all of us will go through a dark night of the soul where it would be easier to walk away from our faith than to stay in our faith. That's gonna happen to us all one day. But as Peter, God turns up again, and he restores us, and now we can follow God in even greater ways because we know he's Lord in the good, and we know he's Lord in the bad, and we know he's Lord in the lack, we know he's Lord in the abundance, we know when things are going good, he's Lord, when things are going bad, he's Lord, I'm just gonna follow my Lord. Yeah. Right? Whether I'm good or bad, I'm still gonna follow him. He's restored to Jesus, and now he really follows him. He's filled with the power of the Holy Ghost when it comes upon him, and he preaches a powerful message on the day of Pentecost. The guy who was too scared to say he knew Jesus is now boldly declaring the power of Jesus. In front of the Jewish council, he goes, 
You killed the author of life. That's gutsy. He's imprisoned, but he's miraculously led out of prison. His own shadow heals people. That's big. Wouldn't it be awesome? His own shadow heals people. He sees the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles. And we also see that his humanness, because he has a big fight with Paul, the apostle. And they have a big fight over different things. He comes into conflict. He then goes on to be one of the great leaders of the early church. So the Peter who writes this book has seen a bit of life. He's not just some kind of ethereal person that kind of just floats around. He knows what it is to have a good day. He knows what it is to have a bad day. He's got humanness and yet he's got a supernaturalness. There's God have moving upon him. He understands that he's a recipient of the grace of God. So this is the Peter who writes the book. You're thinking we haven't even finished chapter verse one, right? Is this gonna go on till Christmas? No, we'll just pick different things. <clears throat> 1 Peter 1 verse one. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the lands of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, in the province of Asia and Bithynia. So what it is, is that Peter is writing to Christians who are living out there in the hostile lands. Some are there because they're probably escaping the persecution that had happened in the different towns where they were. Right, now they're, or they're then converted by the people who came to those towns. It's a book most likely written to converted Christians. Right, so that's who Peter is writing it to. That's, that's who he's trying to reach. It always reaches us because that's the power of the Word of God. But in its original thing, it was written to converted Christians. It's trying to teach us how to live a Christian life in a hostile place where Christianity isn't the flavor and believing can bring about persecution and restrictions whether it be due to geographical location or the actual circumstances, the people who are living their Christian life then and there, it's a difficult time. It's not a walk in the park. Does that sound a little bit like today? I think so. It's like he's writing to us. The previous two books of the Bible, Hebrew and James, are specifically written to converted Jews and, and address issues that would have been pertinent to them. But but Peter is writing to foreigners, to strangers, to people who are in a strange place. So let's continue to read. Verse two, God the Father chose you long ago and the Spirit has made you holy. There's a whole sermon in that. As a result, as a result, not to, not because, but as a result, you have obeyed Jesus Christ and are cleansed by his blood. May you have more and more of God's special favor and wonderful peace. All honor to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for it is by his boundless mercy that God has given us the privilege, privilege of being born again. Now we live with wonderful expectation because Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. It is 
for God has reserved a priceless inheritance for his children. Such an encouraging book. It is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. I want you to think of someone who's gone to heaven before you. Someone that you love, someone that you know you'll meet again. Right now, they're living in that priceless inheritance, kept in heaven, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. Oh, glory to God. And God in his mighty power will protect you until you receive this salvation because you are trusting him. It will be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though it is necessary for you to endure many trials for a while. Peter is building a foundation upon the whole and what the rest of the book is based upon. What he's saying is that we are not an afterthought of God. We are not a byproduct of his grand plan to save mankind. He chose us long ago. And if you don't understand that, you'll never understand that you need to be a person of purpose. It's God's spirit that has made us holy, not our own good works. We would never be able to work enough or be good enough to be good enough for God. So it's by God's spirit we are holy, not of ourselves. It's the boundless mercies of, the, of God that make us privileged to be born again. And because of that, because of that special privilege, as the Scripture says, we can now live in expectation rather than hopelessness. Without the expectation of what is to come with our heaven, we are hopeless. We just go through what we go through for no actual reason or purpose, or it's going to be forever. Paul is speaking to people for whom the Christian life isn't easy. They are in hostile places and circumstances where if they don't have a heavenly mindset, eventually they'll just give up. This is just too hard. This just isn't worth it. Why would I go through this? They need to know that they are privileged and that they have God's special favour on them. That privilege isn't a lucky charm. It's not like this kind of they walk around blessed and everything good just happens to them. To be honest, it's the opposite. They are living tough lives where being a Christian gives them no favour and is of no privilege of all. Right? It actually brings them persecution. It actually brings them uh, marginalisation. It actually brings them restriction. So we need to understand that sense of privilege because it's important. You have been chosen. There's a grace on you. And if I've been chosen and I'm privileged, then I must have some role, some purpose. I'm needed in this kingdom. And so I must keep going to fulfill my destiny. That's why it's so important to practice the presence of God. So that your, your practice of the presence of God isn't just left to church isn't just left together when you come with one another, but that in your own self, you're able to 
speak in psalms and spiritual songs. That's, that's what the Bible talks about, how to bring the Spirit of God into our lives, by recalling His promises, by, by singing psalms and spiritual songs unto yourself, that by the Spirit comes into your life. That's when we see God's favour and experience His peace. Let's face it, we're all the same. If I'm going to have to endure something, if I'm going to have to persevere through tough times, I want to know that there's a reason for it, that there's something at the end, that I have some way of getting through it, or why else would I do it? There's not a benefit, right? You know, I always live by that maxim, you know, no pain, no pain, right? They say no pain, no gain. I just like no pain, no pain. That works for me, right? No pain, no pain. Why go through it if there's not something there? Right here at the beginning of the letter, Paul gives them a higher purpose and shows them from their, from their, from their privilege and favour. God knows how we're wired and shows us up front the reason to keep going. And look at the ways that, that Paul focuses the reader on tomorrow and not today. He focuses them on, on what they're going to experience rather than in present realities that they're going through. We have an inheritance in heaven and nothing can touch it. It's safe, it's secure, and beyond the reach of change. See, a worldly inheritance can change, but a heavenly one will never decay. Peter exhorts them and says, it's their faith that is protecting them. And he finishes with the exhortation, so be truly glad. There's wonderful joy ahead. There's wonderful joy ahead. See, the devil will always focus you on the problem now. How big it is, how hard it is, how unfair it is, how alone you are in it, how insurmountable it is. But God is always focusing you on the future, on how even if it does go bad, even if the worst thing happened and it actually did kill you, your hope is eternal and will never fade. God's way is awesome because even if it does go bad, like the, like the boys have said, even, I'm gonna do this, even if it goes bad, God will somehow get the glory out of this. You have an inheritance. You have an inheritance and it's not gonna be stolen or taken away, excuse me. Goes on verse seven. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it'll bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ, talking about the future again, is revealed to the whole world. You love him even though you have never seen him. Though you do not see him, now you trust him and you rejoice with glorious, inexpressible joy. The reward for trusting him will be the salvation of your souls. So it says you're going through these trials and, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> it shows you have faith is genuine. So what I'm saying is that when you go through these trials, what comes out of you shows what's in you. Does the fruit of the Spirit come out of you or does something 
else come out of you? A true test of when the Spirit of God lives in you is what comes out of you when pressure comes. Does love come, joy come, peace come, long-suffering? Does the fruit of the Spirit come or is there resignation, sadness, depression? Is there anger, bitterness? Is there all sorts of things, revenge? What comes out of you in trials? Your faith is genuine by what comes out of you through the trials. As fire tests and purifies gold. When gold is purified, it's put in a fire and rubbish comes to the top. And then it's scooped off and then that gold is purified. I actually think that's a lot like us. The trials we go through work out the ugly stuff. And I would love to say that I've always acted properly, but the dross comes out. Anger, lust, unforgiveness, impatience, all of these things come out at different times. I would love to tell you I've always been perfect and the fruit of the Spirit just comes out of my life. But Nina's sitting on the front row, right? (laughs) And she would tell you that is not true. You know, Thomas the disciple, when he realises that Jesus comes and appears to everyone but doesn't appear to him, some of the dross comes out. He's getting a bit upset. I don't believe it. He's disappointed. Why would Jesus come when he knew I wasn't there? Why would he show himself to everyone else, but he doesn't show himself to me? And then some of the dross comes out. And so his disappointment leads to doubt. And we call him Doubting Thomas. I sometimes think, maybe he should be called Honest Thomas. Right? He's just saying what he's actually going through. Right? I think that's fair. You think that true? Like we had staff meeting and Rachel just went down to get coffee and, and then the next minute Jesus appears and when Rachel comes back with all the coffees, oh, Jesus was here, Rachel. Oh, but where's my long black? No, you, you, you know, like, she'd be like, well, what, why? What's going on? What have I done? Does he not want to do that? You know, the dross comes out. The dross comes out. But you know what? Because he's honest. Because he's honest, Thomas. He's able to actually deal with that. It actually results to Jesus coming to him. He has an experience with God. And his doubts are forever banished. And he goes to India and he evangelizes that nation. And that's why the name Thomas is such a common name in many parts of India. Because doubting Thomas, or let's say honest Thomas, actually had his doubts. The dross came out and from there he went on and did something great. See, your trials build up a treasure for you where it matters in heaven. You love him, though you haven't seen him. What a concept. I believe all of us have that as a special crown because we love God. And maybe there's been one or two people in this room who have had a vision of Jesus. God bless you, I'm jealous, right? But I haven't, but I know he's real but I haven't seen him. There's a special crown of blessing that's gonna come to me. I love that thought. I love that thought. Our whole Christianity is a faith walk. Jesus reveals himself to me all the time in his word. I definitely have experience with him many times. That summit, many times on the Saturday afternoon when Pastor Ken preached, he just gave me a hug at the end of it. 
man, the, just a download of God, His goodness came upon me. Jesus was real. But I haven't seen Him. And I'm going to be rewarded for that. You haven't seen Him, but you love Him. You've experienced Him. You know Him. You speak with Him, but you haven't seen Him. And one day you're going to be rewarded for that. Is that good news? Yeah. I like that. It's, it just appeals to me. I just like that. I don't know why. That's always appealed to me. One ten. This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about the courageous salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterwards. I, I love that because we sometimes think that these guys just, just think, they were actually thinking. When Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, which talks all about the coming Christ, when, when Ezekiel wrote about these things, when Moses wrote about the prophecies and the many, many prophecies in the Old Testament, there was excitement in them. They're writing about the coming Messiah. And they're stirring. They must say, oh, I wonder when that is. Is this in our time? Some of them would have thought, oh, this is definitely happening soon. But this was now. This was what they were writing about. This was the, the promise of that. It would have been exciting in them. They were told that the messages were not for themselves, but for you, but for us. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. And they're still watching. They love our story. The angels love it because it's the outworking of what God is doing. I want the musos to come. We are living in amazing times. These are times that the Old Testament prophets spoke about. Our salvation is amazing. Heaven will be wonderful. We get to spend an eternity with God. And yes, we may go through tough things on this earth, but look what it produces. This morning, I want you just to close your eyes right now. And I want you to pray for an eternal mindset. Without an eternal mindset, so much of this world makes no sense. Why do the wicked prosper? Why do good things happen to bad uh, people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do we have to keep going through something and it doesn't change? Why can't the world just receive what it is, the, the grace of God? It does make no sense. But we were never born with just this earth in mind. We were born privileged with the reward of spending an eternity with God. An eternity with God. Eternal life is life. 
as Pastor Rachel spoke about so well in communion just a few weeks ago. Eternal life is life itself. It's as you pursue that of eternity. As you understand. See, in heaven, some of the things that make no sense are going to make sense when you have that eternal mindset. When you have that mind of Christ. The Bible doesn't say there are no tears in heaven. It tells us that God will wipe away every tear. Everything that brought you tears here. Every trial that you've gone through, every unfairness that you've gone through, God will wipe away that tear and you'll have the ability to make some sense of it. Can't do it on this side. It's never been about the 70, 80, 90, 100 years or the one year that someone may spend on this earth. It's always been about that eternal life. Father, we thank you We thank you that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. When the 70 came back, they they reported to Jesus, even the demons are subject to your name. We saw this miracle, we saw that miracle. And he says, don't rejoice that demons are subject to your name, but rejoice in the fact that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Father, we thank you for this glorious salvation. We thank you, oh God, that we are privileged, oh God, that we are favoured, oh Lord. Yes, we go through trials. Right now, there's people going through trials, oh God, real trials, not made up ones, not ones just get over it. Father, things they have to suffer each and every day. But Father, Lord, let an eternal mindset come. Father, Lord, let them see how they can use this trial for your glory, oh God. Father, I pray that people would accept the forgiveness for some of the dross that's come out under pressure, Lord, for that outburst of anger. Father, for that resignation to, that's just how it is, I can never change. Father, to those acts that, yes, Lord, What shame. Father, I pray right now an eternal mindset. It's gone. You're purified. You're actually pure purified because you're more sit in the grace of God. Father, give us that eternal mindset, oh God. Father, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. Father, those that we've loved those that have meant so much to us, those that have formed us, made us who we are, but are no longer with us, oh God. Father, we thank you that they're in heaven with you. We thank you that we'll see them again, oh Lord. But Father, they're partaking of their inheritance, oh God. Father, our inheritance was never meant for this world to get us a bigger, better, brighter it's always meant for the next world, oh God. A world that'll never end. A eternal life. A world where we will know Jesus. We'll know His Father. A God who is unsearchable. That takes an eternity to know. 
Father, I pray, let us be heavenly minded, oh God. Father, take our minds and our hearts and our eyes of the things that, that so easily ensnare us here. Let a sense of godliness, a sense of a godly mindset come. Father, not to minimize our trials, not to make it look like we shouldn't have issues. It shouldn't be sadness, it shouldn't be darkness, it shouldn't be tough times. But that Father, that is perseverance to get through. Father, I pray, let us be a light in a dark world, oh God. So as we go through our trials, oh Lord, with that heavenly mindset, oh God, that others will be challenged and, and Father, others will come and ask us questions. Why? How? They'd see the hope that's within us and they would ask questions of us. Father, Lord, let it be on our hearts. Let it show. Let it be revealed. Let our hope, let our light expose darkness in other people and bring light to other people, oh God. Father, let it be a heavenly mindset, oh God. So when we pray, it's not because we just have to do this work and pray. We come to church with, there's a heavenly mindset. A heavenly mindset, oh God. Stir our hearts. Stir our hearts. Father, when we read your word, let's have a heavenly mindset. What is heaven trying to download to me to help me work, walk in this world? Just ask for that, oh God, in Jesus' name. Father, let, as I finish with this, let that heavenly mindset result in peace. Result in peace. If you need the peace of God right now, I want you just to raise your hand. heavenly mindset settle into the spirit of everyone who has their hands raised right now settle their spirit settle their heart let them see that you have it in hand oh God I speak peace I speak peace I speak peace Father, for the way the enemy has stolen sleep. Father, I pray. Let them go to sleep tonight immediately. Let them have a full sleep, oh God. Father, let a rest come into their spirit. Let them wake up tomorrow, God. Father, not tired, but rested. I speak that, oh God. surpasses all understanding. 
doesn't make sense. You should be in turmoil. You should be losing your mind. Should be overwhelming. Peace. Peace. I rebuke worry. Holy Spirit's doing something. Let's just stand in this atmosphere. underrated but God is greater God is bigger God understands you're not alone you're not alone Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. The Holy Spirit is here. Let Him take your hand. Let Him steal your spirit. Let a calmness come. That child's going to be all right. Would you have been fearing going to work tomorrow? God's gone to that workplace in front of you. He's gone before you. 